Hello and welcome to the Pig Edge, Chagas Pig Podcast with me, Kieran Carl, bringing you all the latest news, information and advice to keep Irish pig farmers up to date. And for this episode, we're looking at mycotoxins and their impact on pig performance with Louise Clark, Specialised Pig Development Officer at Ballyhays. And I first asked her, what are mycotoxins and why do we need to be aware of them? So as the name suggests, mycotoxins are chemicals that are either toxic to both humans and animals. And consumption of food or feed containing high levels of these contaminants may result in illness. So why do we need to be aware of them? If we look at organisations like the FAO, the Food and Agricultural Organisation, they would estimate that approximately 25% of the world's crops harvests are contaminated with mycotoxins, which obviously results in major economic losses. So factors like reducing both the yield and the quality of the grain, um, reducing animal production, and then obviously the potential carryover to food where they may also result in severe illnesses to humans. And then I suppose in addition to that, there's various factors are known to influence the incidence of mycotoxins. So really their production can start anywhere in the field throughout the growing stage and continue during harvesting, drying, processing, and even in the storage steps, um, depending on the various environmental conditions. Okay, and what what ingredients are commonly affected or, you know, cause the most problems? Uh, So there's loads of ingredients that are affected by mycotoxins, but I suppose maybe the crops that are frequently affected, um, especially in warm and humid conditions, would include the likes of maize, hulls, wheat, pollard, right through to the likes of soybean, sunflower and cottonseed. Um, So a lot of people would be familiar with mycotoxin problems in maize, and are aware that it is an ingredient that we need to be vigilant about. Um, So if we look at maize, we know that nutritionally, it's a really good ingredient. But the problem with maize for us is that it comes in from a variety of different locations globally. And I suppose at times it can be hard to even find out the origin of the grain. So if we were to say that the maize we get was coming only from the likes of France, then it would be great. We could kind of drive on with that. But I suppose the problem for us is that it's coming in from um, different countries and even from load to load, it be it can be coming um, from completely different continents. And that's why we need to pay a little more attention to maize and be that bit more vigilant around it when we include it in pig diets. Um, however, in general, it is a great product. And most of the time it does come into the country very clean. And it would be the same story for the likes of wheat or other cereals that are coming into the country. Um, I suppose ingredients then, if you looked at the likes of byproducts and fibre material, they're also ingredients that we need to be looking out um, for mycotoxins. So anything that is a byproduct of someone else's business is always going to be a risk. And then higher fibre materials may be a number of years old. So there's a greater chance of contamination with them. So if you were using a lot of byproducts, like the likes of beet pulp or soy hulls or pollard, you'd need to be aware of the dangers around mycotoxins and always be on the lookout for them. Um, for example, if you considered soy hulls, it can be very difficult to distinguish between a good or a bad batch of soy hulls. Um, because the nature of the of it being a fibre, it doesn't mould the same way that a grain will mould. So you can easily get caught out with a high mycotoxin levels in the likes of soy hulls that you think look good or they're a particularly good batch. But um, if you look at where the soy hull comes from, 
it's actually the outer grain of the coat and the bran of wheat grain for pollard would be the same. So it's the external surface of the plant. So if you have, for example, field molds, you will be, they'd be on the outside of the grain. So if we take wheat and say, for instance, we knew we had high levels of dawn within the wheat, well then the pollard level will sure to be high as well because we've taken the starter of it and we have left with the seed coat which is the pollard itself and that is going to have more mycotoxins on average so it's just to be aware of them few ingredients that you need to keep um an eye out for for mycotoxins yes and um are mycotoxins a problem in irish cereals uh, we are fortunate enough in a local context so our local native grain is usually good quality and it's very rare that it would ever push any of the eu guidance levels um, I suppose a lot of that is due to the fact that we don't experience the same weather conditions that are experienced in other parts of the world, luckily. Um, however, in saying that, there may be year-to-year -year variation depending on the weather conditions. So, for example, if we look back to 2012, that was a particular bad year for native grain as we'd experienced a very wet year. And when grain is harvested in the wet or in wet conditions, um, you can get a higher incidence of mycotoxins. For, so for years like that, it would be important to kind of consider um, how much of the affected ingredients you're using in your diet and what other ingredients you're using with it that may cause problem. So it would be really important just to be talking to the relative people and finding out if there's an issue out there and how best to work around it. Very good. And in an Irish context, you know, which mycotoxins are relevant here to pig farmers? Uh, so there's numerous mycotoxins that can cause um, significant health and performance issues in pigs. Um, currently, there be anywhere up on 400 plus mycotoxins identified to date. Um, I suppose in terms of most relevant, there are probably about six classes that we usually look out for or frequently occur. And they would include the likes of alpha toxin, DON, fusarium, serolonin, T2 or orcotoxin. And one of the problems with mycotoxins is that they differ in structure, which obviously helps to explain the great variation in symptoms at the cause. And then in addition to that, or in addition to individual mycotoxins, obviously or contamination of multiple, multiple mycotoxins is not uncommon. Um, and then evidently, obviously, multiple contamination would pose a bigger challenge to an animal. Okay, and in terms of monitoring in that, are there actually legal levels for how much mycotoxin can be allowed into a product? Um, so when we talk about mycotoxins, we talk about them in terms of parts per million or parts per billion. Um, so just to give you an idea, if we said that we'd one part per billion of a certain mycotoxin, putting that into perspective, that's equal to about a half a teaspoon in an Olympic-sized swimming pool. Um, so you can understand that it's extremely hard to see them, but even at the small levels, they still can cause major problems on units. Um, and unfortunately, they're not legislated for, because if they were, it would give us a lot more power and kind of be usually helpful as it would stop a lot of the problems coming in and landing on our doorstep here. Um, for example, if we consider salmonella, if there's an issue with salmonella and feed, it's not accepted and it's sent back. However, with mycotoxins, the only one that is really legislated for would be alpha toxin. And that's because alpha toxin is a carcinogenic and it's associated with maize, but it is legislated for. So if there would be more than 20 parts per billion, it's rejected and it goes back. 
And you will always have legislative bodies like the Department of Ag or quality schemes like GMP plus and all other international schemes that will be on the lookout for the levels of alpha toxin in feedstuffs because of the danger it proposes. So it will be very rare that we would see an issue with alpha toxin on a unit. But I suppose the mycotoxins we do talk about, while they may affect pig performance, they don't give enough of a problem for humans to be legislated for or to be blocked by the EU. But instead, there is EU guidance levels that we follow. Um, so from time to time, we may get a problem with a certain ingredient coming into the country. But because we don't have the legal um, basis to reject that, the importers can't reject it and we have to take it in and deal with it. So what we do instead is we work off, for these mycotoxins, we work off guidance levels. And the guidance levels really are recommended levels that you do not want to exceed in your feedstuff. And they will differ for the different mycotoxins that are out there. And they'll also differ for the different species the feedstuff is being fed to. Um, to give you an example of some of the guidance levels for the likes of Dawn, you would not want to, um, or you'd want to avoid having levels of more than 900 parts per billion in your feed, finished feed for pigs in terms of a guidance level. Okay. And from a practical perspective, you know, what effects do they have on pigs and how would you know if you had a problem? Um, pigs are extremely sensitive to mycotoxins, unlike ruminants where the mycotoxins will be partially broken down in the rumen. Obviously, this is not possible in the pigs. So when mycotoxins are consumed, and even at low levels, they can actually cause various negative effects on all groups of pigs. Um, but the breeding and the young animals will be probably the most susceptible um, to mycotoxins. And they can produce their effects in numerous ways. So one thing from impairing the metabolic to the nutritional to the endocrine functions. And um, many, mycotoxin many mycotoxins can damage the liver. And um, you'd see the likes of reducing average daily feed intake, growth performance, and a negative effect then on feed efficiency. While some other mycotoxins have the ability to, um, they're more immunosuppressive and predispose pigs to secondary diseases. And then you could have mycotoxins that would decrease the reproductive performance of sows. So if you see the likes of splayed legs or gilts with swollen vulvas or sows not returning in heat, this may be some of the signs of um, a mycotoxin problem on a unit. And what levels are, you know, what uh, would influence the level of impact that mycotoxins can have on a pig? Uh, there's numerous factors out there that can influence the levels. Um, so things like the age of the animal itself, the stage of production in which the animal is at, whether the animal is male or female, and the health status of the animal itself and of the whole herd, the type on and the concentration of the mycotoxin consumed, um, the length of exposure the animal has had to that particular mycotoxin, and then different things like farm management. Um, so all them factors can actually influence the level of the impact the mycotoxin will have on an animal. And how would you then manage, you know, a mycotoxin risk on a, on a farm? Um, I suppose for all units, practical guidelines should be in place um, in order to reduce the animal's exposure to the mycotoxins as much as possible. Um, so one of the first things we'd always encourage is to always have your ear to the ground, be on the lookout. Um, it'll be important to seek up-to-date information on mycotoxins 
and to be doing this on the likes of a quarterly basis. Um, so realistically, it's too much to ask any farmer to do that on a daily basis. But if they made a note in the diary to do it on a quarterly basis, it would be a good reminder. And especially at times where it's the start of the key raw material season. So the likes of September and January would be really important to make a note in your diary to um, seek information on feedstuff and what the mycotoxin prevalence is. Um, there's also <coughs> numerous websites available that have good information. So the likes of Feed Navigator or Neogen. Um, they have up-to-date information on the mycotoxin situation. Um, so it would be good to check them out on a regular basis. Uh, some farmers then would have the likes of moisture meters on farm. So for raw material intake points, it's important that that equipment would be actually be used, that it's not sitting in a box in the office on the farm, that it's actually being used. Um, and set a protocol, have certain standards of what you will accept and you won't. And then that really becomes important in terms of bad year. Um, so when you see feedstuff coming in that you're not particularly happy with, it's important to start asking the questions. So what is the maize, the uh, wheat, the barley like this year? Do we need to do something in terms of protection? Um, or are we pushing the limits too high in a particular raw material given the risk that may or may not be out there? Um, so it's important to just ask them questions and see what's happening. In addition to that then, it may be worth sending away some samples for analysis. Um, so we do know some mycotoxin analysis may be expensive, but if you think that you could have, say for example, a thousand ton of maize or wheat ordered, well then one sample isn't going to cost a fortune and at least you would have that kind of crossed off or you'd have peace of mind if the results were to come back negative from that. Um, in doing that, if you are sending, sending samples away from analysis, it would be important to share the information that you get back. So among other farmers, whether it be through your discussion group or your advisor or your nutritionist or feed mill or your supplier, wherever or whoever it is, it's important that that information is relayed back. Um, when you think about it, it's practically the likes of maize. It's the same maize that's coming into the country in one or two loads. So it would be really useful to share that information. Um, and the more information that gets shared, the less time individual farmers have to spend trying to work out what the issue is. Just on top of that, I suppose, if you were purchasing feed or a compound feed buyer, um, you'd obviously be purchasing your feed from a reputable mill with a good quality feed control in place. Absolutely, yeah, that makes sense. And then if we look at feed hygiene, you know, are there areas there that we can look at? Yeah, that's a um, really important area. So when it comes um, in terms of feed and feed storage, when it comes in or onto your unit, you need to make sure that the situation doesn't get any worse. So for example, the likes of bin hygiene would be critically important here. Um, maybe look at operating an effective bin hygiene plan. Um, so is that something you do on your farm? Do you run down your bins empty at least once a month? Um, what about dust with a mould inhibitor every six months with particular emphasis on the likes of spring and autumn? Or maybe pressure wash bins um, disinfect, fumigate on an annual basis? But while doing that, always be on the lookout for the likes of leaks or condensations that may possibly create hang-ups hang in bins that may lead to mycotoxin problems. And then in addition to that, in terms of feed hygiene, it's really important that 
you um, look at this area and make sure that it's an area that doesn't get um, put it to one side. If you think of the conditions we feed the pigs in, you think of what conditions the moles like to grow in, we're pretty much giving the mold everything it wants. So they have loads of heat and that is obviously, or sorry, they want loads of heat. So that's obviously easily provided in with house temperatures being over 20 degrees. And we're giving them plenty of moisture with relative humidity in the house. And then they have the raw material itself to grow on. Um, so what can we do to prevent these? Or like, what, what areas do we need to look at? So I suppose when it comes to the likes of single space feeders, wet or dry feeders, and all those really, when we empty the house, um, it's really important that you pay particular attention to them areas. So the areas around the feeders, um, and in terms of knocking down old or stale feed um, and mold that is in or around the feeders, it's important that they get the attention they need. Um, and then on top of that, just in terms of other feed hygiene areas, if you're wet feeding, you need to pay particular attention to the feed bins. So this is an area that warrants a lot of attention. And again, you're given the mold, the bacteria, the yeast, the perfect environment to thrive in. So you need to ask yourself, do you wash your feed tanks? Um, how often you, or do you do it? Um, we all know it's a horrible job and it's obviously a dangerous job. So is it worth asking if the system can be automated in any way? Or is it possible to use the likes of a lance with an upturn on it that can be popped into the feed tank that allows it to wash the sides and the top or the roof off the feed tank itself without you having to get into the tank itself? Um, and then there's some other new tanks that may possibly have the likes of the water spinners that can wash the system down itself. So it's just important to recognize that it is an area there that we need to be looking at. And is there any solutions that we can come up to or come up with to prevent the likes of mycotoxins? Um, however, just a point, I do think it's important to note that a safety aspect is always more important than the PPP level. So always consider the risk attached in doing jobs such as washing feed tanks. Absolutely, absolutely. And finally, Louise, you know, problems arrive. What happens when it all goes wrong? Um, number one, I definitely tell everybody to seek advice um, from day one. So when you see the likes of splayed legs or gilts with swollen vulvas or sows that aren't coming to heat or even pigs that have a reduced feed intake, um, once you see them sort of problems on a unit, you need to start talking to people. So whether it be your nutritionist, your vet, your advisor, your supplier, whoever it is, and you notice them problems, you need to start talking um, to them. I suppose secondly, be guided by data. A lot of the time, if we test the feed, there'll actually be no mycotoxins there. So in that instance, you know that it's a historic problem you're working with and not a current one. Um, and then I suppose a few more practical options would be maybe stop using the material. Um, but I don't know, I don't think this is hardly ever possible if you consider that you'd could easily have say 300 tons of a particular ingredient stopping using that material is not often an option and um, it's usually could be in the system already and going through the bins so in this instance we need to look at alternatives so look for options like diluting down the problem and um, for example if you had a, high, a problem with mycotoxins in wheat would it be worth contacting your nutritionist and seeing can you reformulate the diet and um, so perhaps drop the wheat and up the maize or whatever it is for a number of weeks until the raw material is used out and then ideally don't give this to more or don't be feeding this um, ingredient to the vulnerable stock on the farm 
And then I suppose in addition to that, there's loads of feed additives out there that can help reduce the effects of mycotoxins in feed. So it would be important to seek advice on these um, and see if the likes of a mycotoxin, um, a mycotoxin binder is worthwhile adding in to your diet. Or if you have a binder in already, is it worth upping the level of the binder to cover a particular risk period? Um, and then I suppose in addition to that, just increase surveillance and always be on the lookout and don't let any, anything drop. Anything you can do to keep mycotoxins problem out of your unit um, will always be beneficial. Okay, thanks Louise. That was some excellent information and advice on what to do to mitigate the problems associated with mycotoxins. That's it for the latest episode of The Pig Edge and my thanks to Louise Tark for joining me today. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss a show. And for more information on farming, please go to chagas.ie. I'm Kieran Carl and thanks for listening.